Hey everyone, welcome to episode 52 of So I've Been Told. My name is Adam Kramer, and on this episode I had my buddy Tony Bucci of Broken Field Runner, and before that he was in Caleb Lionheart, and we just hung out and talked about his journey. Uh, Tony is a very good dude, uh, somebody I'm happy to call my friends. And we've known each other for a long time. I didn't even realize just how long it had been until it came up in conversation. But, you know, going on 10 years that I've known known Tony and you know, he makes some music that I really love. So, to kick things off, I'm going to play his song 511s over 501s off of his Broken EP, which is his most recent release. It came out earlier this year. So enjoy, and then you will hear our conversation.
Hello, good sir. Hey, how's it going? Good. I'm glad we finally are getting around to do this. I know, I know. I, uh, no, no Sunday afternoon naps today for me. Good, good. Does that mean you had an easier weekend this weekend? Uh, I don't know. I don't know about that, but it's it's not been too bad. It's not the, not been the best, but not the worst. I've had much worse. Okay, well that's good. Yeah, man. I it's... mean, I, I guess. Yeah. So how's how's life on the West Coast, man? It's good. It's yeah. good. Um, weird thing about the West Coast, or at least Southern California, is that the seasons literally never change at all. Yeah. So it's hard to remember how, like, what month it is, how many months ago something happened. <laughs> you know. Well, and especially um, this year, like, it's hard to, it, you know, with the world the way it is, it's hard to know what what month it is and all of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's, like, doubly hard right now. Yeah. Um, but uh, other than that, you know, um, just anxiously anticipating the outcome of this election. Yeah. Um, so we're all in the same boat as far as that's concerned, whatever yeah. coast we're on, as long as we're in the United States. Yeah, so. yeah man. Uh, have you been, well, first of all, what's, what, what are you in this, I'll, I've already started recording, I'll, you know, I'll, you know, edit around no whatever I need to, but, uh, so what do you, what's your regular job? What are you doing day to day and ha- how's that, Im- how's the pandemic impacted your, uh, day to day work life? Sure. So, um, what I do in, well, let me back up. Uh, even when I lived in New York state, um, I'm originally from the Albany area, the capital region of New York State. I um, worked with um, adults and school-age children with disabilities for uh, most of my uh, out-of-college life. That's what I've been doing is working with people with disabilities. But now that I live in Los Angeles, what I do is um, I work as a service coordinator um, at a regional center and without getting into what all of that means, I still work with families, um, of, uh, you know, with children or, um, adult children with, uh, disabilities. But what I do is I, uh, act as sort of a social worker. I, um, help them get advocacy if they feel like they're being mistreated by some sort of program. I, uh, can help them get evaluations for um, eligibility for services, and uh, most importantly, I can help them get funding for oh, services. Nice. Cool. What's your What's your degree in? Is it Is it in social work? Uh, no. So I went to school to be a high school uh, social studies teacher. Okay. And I was um, I was certified to teach seventh through twelfth grade social studies for a good five years, but I've oh. been. That oh, certification has lapsed for like six years or so. I think okay. it was up in 2014. Yeah. Weird. So I mean, well, I guess. But yeah, so I sort of just fell into oh, short. Oh, awesome! Yeah, I'm actually That's I'm okay. I'm planning yeah. on going back to school and kind of going kind of in the social work direction. So cool, very cool. Uh, so I mean, I guess we'll kind of jump in. What was your introduction to? Well, first of all, is your family? background is you you know is it a a musical family and then what was kind of your introduction to um you know punk and underground uh you know and uh, broadly termed punk and underground music and culture no problem yeah so um i i come from a very sports oriented family and i was kind of the black sheep of that 
family. Interestingly enough, I'm the oldest son, so my father, big uh, sports guy, you know, um, the consummate coach of Little League, okay. was kind of like, okay, my son is five years old and he wants to uh, t- tap dance. You know, I don't know what to do with that. Or, yeah. Um, my he now he's you know ten or eleven years old and he wants to go out for a musical. You know, or he wants to be in the choir, what have you. Um, yeah. He wants to own a guitar. He had no idea what to do with that. So um, my uncle, um, he uh, lives in New York City, um, and he's been loosely uh, working in like musical theater, um, and eventually worked his way up to touring um, uh, musical theater productions, oh, cool. like Broadway adjacent kind of yeah. stuff. Um, so that was sort of my introduction to musicality and to musicianship, you know? Mm -hmm. He was an excellent actor um, and a really powerful vocalist, too, uh, my Uncle Bob. Um, So he kind of got my... He he allowed me to dip my toe into, like, performing, right? But then in middle school... um, when friends of mine started getting into, you know, Blink-182 um, and things of that nature, that's when it started to spiral, or uh, spider web rather, outward yeah. from there. Um, and as far as, like, punk-adjacent stuff, there was, we had, a, I had a friend of mine, and I don't know what his deal was or how he got um, introduced to this album, but because he's not, like, a punk guy at all, he really, other than... Blink 182's Dude Ranch and the album about I'm about to say he never really was into punk. He didn't go to DIY shows, but yeah. this dude introduced me to this album and kind of like dropped it in my lap and was like, "Okay, um, see you later." And it completely changed my life. And it was, um, you remember the Fat uh, the Fat Records compilations? Yeah, like the Fat Music for Fat People and you like those, those counts. Yep. Yeah. So, the one that absolutely threw me for a loop, that changed my entire life from then on, was Fat uh, Music Volume 4, which is uh, Life in the Fat Lane. Okay, yeah. It had it had Lag Wagons, um, uh, May 16th, I believe is the, I always get the date wrong. Yeah. It had uh, um, the Atari's San Dimas High School Football Rules on it. Yeah. It had... Um, uh, good riddance. It had uh, the plan by No Effects. It just had okay. so many yeah. songs that, like, after I heard those songs, I was like, "Oh my god, I need to play fast music." Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, was it, when did you start playing guitar, or was was guitar your first instrument then? So drums were was oh. actually my first uh, instrument. And if you remember, so you know, um, you and I go back pretty far because uh, I've been playing um, music that's toured out to the Rochester area for a number of years. So you may be familiar with my band prior to Broken Field Runner, which was called Caleb Lionheart. Yep, I saw you guys play at the the Flying Squirrel. Yes. And I remember we had a conversation about Saves the Day. Uh-huh. For yeah. a while, so, yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it was a natural uh, progression from the um, sort of like l- what I would call the lifetime beat. You know, the beat that on yeah. uh, Dude Ranch, the... Yep. That beat, it was a natural progression from 
that era of Blink-182 and that record of Life in the Fat Lane um, to Save Today's Can't Slow Down and, um, you know, through Being Cool. So I was very influenced by that. Um, But, you know, I got into this scenario where, like I said, I was doing, like, musical theater and stuff and I had, I could sing, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, Not so much, I would say, like, I could sing punk music, but I could sing, right? (laughs) So we would get into these sort of um, situations where it's like, do we need a drummer or do we need a singer? You know what I mean? And incredibly, because everyone needs a drummer in this day and age, at the time they needed a singer more than they needed a drummer, and I became the singer uh, primarily. Okay. Yeah, nice. And then, so was, uh, you know, the guitar just kind of an outgrowth of that, or, yeah? So... (laughs) With Caleb Leinhart, and, and as, as far as your probably experience with um, being in a DIY band, yeah. um, everybody has different schedules, everybody has different things going on in their lives. Yeah. So if you're trying to do a band that's very serious, right? And at that time, we were trying to tour every six months, every time that I was off from college. Um, or and, and the rest of the members, most of them were in college too. So every time, about every six months in winter break and summer uh, break, we would try to do uh, touring. So in order to, uh, you know, accommodate for that, sometimes uh, lineups would change, but yeah. more, more than likely we wouldn't be able to get a lineup together, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it was imperative that I learned how to play guitar <laughs> pretty early on so that I could, like, play an acoustic show or what yeah. have you. Um, and it's funny you bring up that uh, Flying Squirrel show because I believe maybe two or three months after that show, that, that Rochester show was like one of the first ones where we really felt like, wow, Rochester could be a, a second home to us. Maybe yeah. we should continue to play out there. Um, so I booked like uh, another show maybe two or three months later. And exactly the scenario that I'm talking about happened where, like, you know, oh, the drummer can't make it. Uh, we may need to get a fill-in bass player. So I ended yeah. up just going out there and playing acoustic, and I played this Flying Squirrel again. Oh, yeah. I think I, would, I think I may have been at both of those shows, actually. That's cool. That's yeah. really cool. There were, so, yeah, there were a lot I mean, of shows going on at that, that period of time at the Squirrel. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And I met a lot of really cool, uh, you know, people through that spot and through, yeah. um, you know, like... Uh, uh, Chris from Sakes Alive. Uh, oh, yeah. Chris yeah. Vandeviper. And um, obviously uh, Kyle Chapman. Yeah. And uh, some of those folks. So, um, and obviously, eventually, uh, um, just like a bunch of people, just so many people yeah. I've met through uh, the Flying Squirrel in that um, area. But, yeah. But anyway, cool. uh, all of that is to say that I learned how to play guitar out of necessity, really. Uh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't like formally learn how to start playing guitar. I didn't pick up a guitar and practice it um, with vigor until I was probably 19 years old. So I was pretty late in the game. Yeah. You know, um, I was concentrating much more on being the singer. Yeah. So were you kind of co-writing songs for Caleb Lionheart? Uh, nice. Cool. Yeah, so basically the way that it would go a lot of times is either I would bring uh, a very bare-bones idea to the rest of them who were much better players than me all the way around. All of the, the guitarist, the drummer, um, my friend Mike, who is still a very close friend of mine, um, bassist, they were all just, very, we were very blessed to find each other. Um, yeah. They were all very good players. 
Cool. Um, so I would bring this bare bones idea and they would expand upon it um, often to very favorable uh, results or um, they would bring an idea and I would try to sort of refine it um, into more of like, a, I think that's kind of my, uh, my MO is to kind of take something um, and make it more commercial sounding, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have that like pop sort of yeah. sensibility. Um, so that's what it would sort of turn into is somebody would bring like a very complicated riff and then I would sort of help them distill it down to something that's more palatable. Yeah. And was, was Caleb Lionheart your, your first like full band that you that you did or did, was anything come before that or, and how did that come together? I had a couple fledgling projects prior to Caleb Lionheart, but they were sort of, we, we were having an identity crisis, you know, we didn't really know what we wanted to sound like. We had a bunch of ideas, but never like a fully fleshed out idea. So I definitely had a lot of bands, um, some that I played drums in, some that I was the singer in. Um, but the, the first one that was more of like a real concerted, like, this is what we want to do. This is how we're going to do it. Caleb Lionheart was the first one that was like a fully fleshed out idea, if that makes yeah. sense. Cool. And you, you guys put out, uh, you definitely pulled out, put out one full length, right? Or was it more than one full length? So the funny thing is, like I said, with the, the scheduling conflicts, especially with kids who are trying to uh, finish school yeah. or, um, you know, some of them were already in the working world already. Um, yeah. What we would end up doing is we would, it would take us forever to write songs. So maybe in a year we would write five or six songs, right? So by the time people were like, when's the next thing coming out? When's the next thing coming out? We never had enough songs for a full length. Yeah. So I think what ended up happening is we only had maybe a handful of EPs, and then yeah. there was a split with After the Fall. Okay. Um, is that, so does that band that, still play? Did, uh, say that again? Does that band still play? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say just I... released. You would actually really like their most recent album that they put out. Um, I don't know. I, I have this feeling that it was on paper and plastic. Okay. But their most yeah. recent album, it's one of those like get in and get out kind of 10 songs in 13 minutes or something That's... insane, like very fast, very straightforward. <laughs> but it's it's a good little batch of songs, probably yeah. the best in a long time. That's dope. I'm actually, as we're, as we're talking here, I'm going to... You know, add it to my Apple Music so I can totally. Yeah, that, that band's excellent. Um, you know, kind of, I saw them probably at like a Lixer or some like tiny bar here in Rochester, yeah. and they like slayed. But sick, dude. Yeah, and and that is a band where the core uh, three uh, members, the guitarist, the lead singer, and guitarist Mike Moke and the drummer uh, who they call Meepy for some reason, uh, he, they, those three have been playing together for literally 20 years yeah. or something like that. Um, and they just, you can tell, they, they, you know, they ha they're a unit. They have uh, yeah. very good chemistry together, those three. Yeah, yeah th there's something to be said to, you know, the, the power trio thing. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, you know, I, you know, so... Caleb Lionheart was a thing. You guys toured. How far? How far did you guys tour? Like, how far did you go outside of New York State? So we did a, a number of East Coast runs. Um, we at the time in the pre sort of streaming world in the pre um, Spotify generation. Yeah. The big thing was like um, the way to gain a following 
this was my, I don't know if this was like, no one actually said this, but this is our, our prevailing understanding. The way to gain a following was to make sure that your band name was on a flyer in a town every three to six months. Yeah. Preferably every three months, right? So we would try to do East Coast runs, like I said, once every six months in um, the wintertime and in the summertime. But one time, and this was like, we may have broken up or played our last show, because we didn't like we didn't come out and say like, oh, we're breaking up, this yeah. is our final show. <laughs> but um, we may have played our final show a couple months after a full U.S. tour, um, we we went all the way to California. It was oh, the wow. first time I ever... Sick. Um, well, no, it wasn't the first time, but it was like a, one of the few times I ever played in, in Southern California. Yeah. was on that tour. Rad. Um, so what, you know, let's let's talk about kind of the end of that and then the beginning of Caleb Lionheart, at, or at a Broken Field Runner. Um, so what kind of was, you know... I mean, I, I'm assuming that you just wanted to start something new since the band broke up and something easier to do kind of on your own. Um, and what, you know, so what was your, your inspiration for the early batch of Broken Field Runner songs as well? Sorry, I just like threw a bunch of questions at the same time. That's okay. No, I think I got them off. Um, <laughs> the way that it happened is sort of an extension of or like a straw that broke the camel's back. Um, situation with what I described earlier in our conversation, right? Where um, there was there wasn't really a demand. It's not like any of these bands were ever so big that it's like, oh my gosh, we need to go see you. When are you coming to this town? Kind of a situation. Yeah. But there, I felt that there was still momentum for Caleb Lionheart, um, and we just could not meet that momentum because of all of the scheduling conflicts, all of the, well, I can't tour this week, and you tour that week, I can't tour that week kind of situation. Yeah. So I was like, how am I going to make this work? I have to keep doing this. Um, but when I played Caleb Lionheart songs, like I also alluded to earlier, I'm not, I, at least at that time, I was not even close to as good of a player as any of the people in the band. So it felt unfair to keep calling it Caleb Lionheart yeah. when people would come to me and be like, oh, you wrote such an amazing song. And I'd have to be like, I, I didn't write that. You know what I mean? Yeah. They wrote it. So eventually uh, I decided to uh, create a quote-unquote solo project, right? Yeah. Uh, Broken Field Runner was going to be the solo project of um, Caleb Lionheart. And, uh, you know, I did my first sort of regional tour in, I believe, the summer, early fall, of 2012, that's how long I've been okay. doing Broken Field Runner. Yeah, wow. Uh, yeah, and and my uh, now wife, but my girlfriend at the time, we had only been together for maybe six months, and I was like, I'm about to do this tour completely alone, but you want to come along? And she did, and so that, like, it's funny, Broken Field Runner and my relationship with my wife, it's sort of like, they run counter to each other. Yeah. We have been together about the same amount of time. That's rad. Yeah, it, it's been cool. Yeah, I mean, those, yeah. those close quarters kind of push you, you know, push you either closer together or, or uh, you know, you see that it's not going to work pretty quick. So I thankfully met my, now, my future wife who's sitting right next to me. You can't see Congratulations. her. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, kind of, well, it was just about a year ago. So the, the quarantine thing kind of, uh, we, we just kind of saw that it's working. So, yeah, I, I totally get that. So. Definitely. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it, it, so when I started playing alone, um, 
a majority of the um, songs that I was playing or the sets that I would play were Caleb Linehart songs at first, um, adapted to be able to be played by me. Yeah. But then as the new, as I started to write my own songs completely on my own, uh, the style didn't feel like Caleb Linehart anymore. It wasn't um, super fast. Um, because those songs didn't translate well to uh, an acoustic yeah. or um, actually what I started to do is um, so I want I, I wanted to name the band Broken Field Runner early on I didn't I, I've never really liked the way that my name looks on like a flyer and it feels weird to like sell t-shirts <laughs> yeah. with your own band name on it or uh, your own first name and last name on it yeah. so um, you know I came up with a band name right but then everyone assumed that the band name was a band. So when I showed up, they'd be like, oh, are you sticking around for the... And I heard somebody say this once, are you sticking around for the acoustic guy? And I was like, oh, no, I'm the acoustic guy. So what I started to do was I, I bought an electric guitar and an amp early on so that yeah. it was never I was never the acoustic guy. When I showed up, they'd be like, okay, Broken Field Runner must be a band. Oh, he, he loaded in an amp and a guitar. It must yeah. be a band. And then I would go up and play along. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it started to sound different. Um, I couldn't play the way that they played. Things were a little bit slower. Um, you know, I was much more influenced by Pedro the Lion and David Bazan's output by that point. Yeah. Um, and and bands like Brand New and uh, you know you Kevin Devine. No, I'm just kidding. Manchester Orchestra. <laughs> you know. So. Yeah. Uh, so when it when did your uh, you know kind of finding Dave Bazan and Pedro the Lion, when did, when did you kind of start getting into that? Because I know you're a huge fan. I'm a, I'm a huge fan as well. And, yeah. um, you know, I think I heard you on another podcast kind of mention that you didn't really have um, a, much of a re religious background. And I always think it's interesting because I feel like most of us that are, that are like big Pedro fans and big Bazan fans kind of come from that background. And, um, just because I relate so much to the lyricism and, and kind of as someone who's kind of deconstructed my own faith in some ways as well. So, um, you know, yeah. How did you come about finding Bazan's work? It's a good question. Um, so I would say that I did and I didn't have a religious background mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll uh, qualify that, um, by saying that, I was raised Catholic, right? Yeah. And we did go to church every Sunday, but the Catholic faith is very different than the evangelical yeah. background that uh, David Bazan came from. Yeah. When I was in high school, though, um, through punk and all that stuff, I met uh, my my best friend in high school, mm -hmm. right? Uh, he went to a different school, but we would hang out every weekend and do punk stuff together, right? <laughs> go to the movies and not go to the movies, like sit yeah. outside and like break bottles or I don't know, get in shopping <laughs> carts and, you know, all the stupid stuff yeah. that kids do. He, however, was from a very evangelical background. Um, I, I forget if it was Seventh-day Adventist or something okay. like that, but it yeah. was... I, he, you know, he very quickly was asking me to come to church with him, and yeah. I, it was a church service that was very different from my very traditional sit, quietly, stand, quietly, say everything yeah. in unison kind of background. His was, 
you know, hands in the air, uh, you know, call and response, dance if you want to, uh, step to the front, get on the stage if you want to, you know, yeah. um, however the spirit moves you. And it was completely, like, completely threw me for a loop. And um, without getting too much into it unless you want to. I mean, you, you, um, can, you can. I love, I well, mean... My my podcast kind of goes all over the place and wherever sure. the conversation goes. So, and I love talking about that stuff. Uh, you okay. know, so I'm you know, if you want to go into it, go for it. So what happened was I um I you know got into a uh, Catholic school, um, the College of Saint Rose mm-hmm. in uh, Albany, New York, and so while it's not an overtly religious school, there are there are very you can you can practice very openly and easily at that school yeah. there's like a sanctuary on campus there's a, a church on campus a lot of the classes were taught by nuns and, and priests um and my friend got diagnosed with cancer when we were halfway through oh, wow. uh, high school and he ended up unfortunately passing away oh, when I'm i was sorry, a freshman yeah. in college so while i didn't have a religious upbringing that thrust me headlong into religiosity Mm -hmm. and i took for a year um old and new testament studies i studied Mm -hmm. it pretty uh for lack of a better word religiously with the help of a nun um and the so i guess all of that is to say that the reason that i found david bazan was after i finished the bible as a study right i didn't just read the bible i didn't I didn't go to just a church and have uh, the preacher say, you know, uh, take a look at this line and let's talk about this uh, uh, verse. This was a, like, book by book deconstruction of the Bible in real time where the nun was like, this is the context and this this is who we believe historically to be the writers and this is what they meant and this is how you can take it in three different ways and blah, blah, blah. Um, When I finished that study I was no longer religious Mm, yeah you know and uh that is sort of when I found really found David Bazan he was uh you know his music was given to me by that uh you know punk kid um when I was in high school and I didn't like it (laughs) um I remember when Cursor Branches came out and I heard it and I was like this is sort of Beatles-y. I don't really like how produced it is. At the time, it didn't sit on my ears right. Yeah. But then in 2012, when... Uh, um, why am I blanking on this? Uh, uh, Strange Negotiations yeah, came out. That's the one. Uh, I was just floored. And yeah. I went in both directions, forward and backward from there. Cool. And that's where it really... like His <coughs> upbringing in evangelical Christianity and then his crisis of faith really affected me. And then, so that was initially, but then as he started struggling with alcoholism, Mm -hmm. when he started struggling, when he's telling these like really intense stories um, in a way that's so affecting that I, I knew, I was like, this is what I've always wanted to write songs like. And now I found, you know, a kindred. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, I think it makes total sense to talk about his work alongside your work because I definitely get a lot of, you know, it's very clear that you're influenced by, you know, by the topics he writes about, you know, currently. Um, but yeah, I, I just, 
you know, thanks for sharing that. Like, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about your friend and all that. It was, uh, um, but yeah, I think it's interesting to, you know, kind of hear just because I, I feel like, you know, in, in like all of those groups of Bazan fans, it's always like all of us like exvangelical kids that, that uh, dominate those spaces. So, but cool. Yeah. I mean, his, his work has been incredibly important to me over the years, um, in all different, different, uh, periods of my life and periods of my faith journey or whatever cheesy word you want to, words you want to put there so totally and yeah. he's so so intelligent and just like listening to uh the podcast appearances he's been on it j- just the you know we can only hope to be semi-coherent and <laughs> uh have something funny or witty to say or to appear intelligent in some way, shape, or form. But when Bazan is on these podcasts, he he is just drawing from such a wealth of... The man clearly reads. He's clearly uh, a a consummate student. And to hear him talk about some of these topics, I I find myself rushing to a pen and paper often when I just hear him speak, you know? So um, I can totally... you know, I, I can understand and appreciate why a former evangelical or a current evangelical might be drawn to his work, especially the early page of the line stuff. Yeah. But I, I mean, other people really should not be turned off yeah. by the the evangelical bent because he is just such a brilliant musician yeah. and storyteller. You know, in my opinion, in my humble opinion. Yeah, yeah, and I and uh, I don't know if I don't remember if we've talked about this particular podcast or not, and this. You know, I'll, I'll just throw this out there for anybody who's listening. He was on um, Break It Down. It was Break It Down with Matt Carter, who's one of the guys oh, from yeah. Emory. Who, uh, that was like, you know, he, he does Bad Christian, but this particular podcast was him where he didn't talk as much about the lyrical content and just talked about his, uh, like his process. And that that's like my favorite podcast I've ever listened to with him because it's like I've heard him tell the story you know, about his, you know, faith deconstruction and all that on, like, several. Um, But, you know, then people don't really dig as deep with his, you know, with his writing process. And I think that uh, Matt did a great job kind of digging deep with that one, too. And then to see how Matt and Emery were influenced by David Bazan, which you can't... I don't think that's initially or immediately apparent when you listen to Emery's music, especially the most popular Emery yeah. songs. Um, but then when he broke down the um, uh, the first song on uh, Winners Never Quit mm-hmm. um, and asked about that whole sort of pseudo-classical um, guitar yeah. uh, breakdown, and then Matt showed him uh, an Emery song where they completely <laughs> tried to rip that yeah. off. And I was like... <laughs> it, it really blew my mind yeah. to, to hear that and to see that because of how thoroughly I'm influenced by him. And I can point to so many things where I was like, I was trying to do David Bazan here and I was trying to yeah. do David Bazan there. <laughs> to hear somebody else who's like an established professional um, career musician say yeah. the same thing, really, I, I don't know. <laughs> it was cool to hear, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So if you haven't, if you know, if you're listening to this and you haven't heard that podcast, I'll like link it in the notes because it's it's like worth checking out if you're at all it's a fan cool of uh, of Bazan. Um, yeah, so you know you toured and been doing uh, broken field. Running. I wish I was doing. I know, right? Long, yeah. Um, for a long time now, um, you've you've released you know 
quite a bit of music under under that umbrella. And you also, you know, sometimes you play full band. Tell me about when you, you know, kind of the process of putting together your uh, your backing band when you do that. Because don't you kind of have a different lineup um, when you play here on the East Coast as compared to the West Coast? Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to talk about that. Um, that whole thing has gone through ebbs and flows over yeah. the years. Um the one constant, the main constant in the performing lineup is uh, the bassist, sometimes mm-hmm. guitarist, sometimes producer, uh, Jojo Rose, who uh, goes professionally by Nuns, yeah. uh, which is spelled N-X-N-E-S. He's played on just about every single piece of music that Broken Field Runner has right. released um, in some way, shape, or form. His, his fingerprints are on everything. Yeah. Um, and he, when he's able to, and there's not a, glo- a global pandemic, yeah. he um, does his best to try and tour with us. And he's, I've been on, I would say a majority of Broken Field Runner tours uh, had him playing either guitar or bass cool. on it. Um, but then, um, you know, when I was living in New York, uh, I would draw from my friend uh, Nick Caven, who used to play in the Equal Vision Records band um, Young Culture. So okay. he played uh, with us quite a bit. Um, and I recorded a Pedro the Lion cover with him um, on drums. I, then when I moved to Los Angeles, um, there were a couple of Albany expatriates living here uh, that I also worked with. Um, Laura, um, Laura Murphy, she played bass for a little while, and she sang on two of the songs on um, my most recent full-length, Lay My Head Down. Um, and then the drummer, uh, Chris Villeneuve, he uh, plays in the band Drug Church. Okay, right. So... They they were sort of the West Coast version of the band, yeah. and then Nick Nick and um, JoJo were the East Coast version of the band. Mm-hmm. But since then, and I I didn't say all that to name drop. Uh, <laughs> no, I say all that to say that name Chris, drop all you want. <laughs> yeah, Chris cannot he can't dedicate time to being yeah. in Broken Field Runner when Drug Church is you know Cheer was a huge record when it came out. Yes, I, I just um, saw them, uh, you know, that was like my last big show before the pandemic was, was that Thrice Me Without You and, uh, uh, and Drug Church. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So, and they were, they had announced, which never unfortunately happened, but they had announced a Baroness and Against Me tour. When you're wow. doing tours like that, you can't, you can't <laughs> dedicate time to Broken yeah. Road So he stepped away, um, and then Laura's, uh, fiance, um, has a project that they play together on called uh, Jay Laser. So all of these people are, are prolific artists and musicians in their own right. You know, JoJo does nuns. Um, yeah. Uh, Nick Caven, he, he does production work um, for people. So, it, it, you know, that has all ebbed and flowed. So right now, the, the core lineup that I'm writing new songs with, that hopefully if the pandemic lets up or we can figure something <laughs> out, we're going to record soon, but um, the drummer that I've been playing with right now is a young man named uh, Alonzo Figueroa. Um, he goes by Nazo, but yeah, him and I, we've been jamming. Uh, we have a practice space in North Hollywood, and we play, we've been playing together for just probably a year, year and a half. Um, but he, yeah, he played the uh, record release show for Lay My Head Down, um, and he's a really 
he has a master's degree in music, so oh, he's wow. like a really phenomenal, uh, like full picture musician. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas I'll bring like a, a skeleton, and he'll be like, "Well, do you do you see it like with this, or do you want to do this, or how is this rhythmically? Do you want to record this and then listen back?" You know, he yeah. he he's good like that. Sort of in a, similar to my friend JoJo, they yeah. they do similar full picture yeah. uh, musicianship. Sick. Uh, Jojo's like I have a kind of I I have a list that's running of people that I like want to get around to asking to be on the show and I like I you know we're Facebook friends I don't I've you know I've only talked to him when he's played you know Rochester shows I don't know him well but uh so Jojo if you're listening I'll you know be expecting a message I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you up about coming on the podcast you definitely (laughs) should man because like that's another guy where I've just been super blessed to meet people who are very just intelligent in a way that's beyond books. Yeah. Um, and and my man did go to Howard University, mm-hmm. but like he just he is connected to some sort of like other <laughs> otherness <laughs> that is just it, it's it's really fun to be around because he it feels like he's sort of brushing off inspiration on other people because mm. he's so he. He, he has, he can walk into any conversation and just be part of it. Yeah. Um. And is just a phenomenal talent. So I really hope you do yeah. get him in there because he'd be, and he's a huge bazaar head too. Cool. Uh, so, um, and he has a, a connection to that sort of evangelical world too. So I think it would be a very interesting. Yeah. Uh, conversation you guys might have. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that if you can yeah. make it happen. Yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, like I said, his his name is written down in my notebook. I'm gonna get to it. Um, Do it. So when you moved, kind of backtracking a tiny little bit, uh, when you sure. when you moved to California, was that uh, you know a career move as far as like your you know your regular job or a career move for your your now wife or what were what were your reasons for moving out there? So, I. I'm originally from Hudson, New York, which is still like it, the Hudson Valley is just below uh, the capital region. Um, but so when I moved away from home, which was only 45 minutes away, yeah. I moved to Albany to go to college in 2005. Right? I lived in Albany for 11 years. Okay. Okay. Uh, I moved to Albany, went to college in Albany, was surrounded by college kids, got a job in Albany, still. And it was Albany, 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 right? Yeah. Um, when my wife and I got together, we both kind of looked at each other and we were like, okay, we're nearing 30 years old at that time. What are we going to do? Do we want to live in Albany forever? Is there is there any sort of adventurism left? <laughs> you know? And we visited a couple places. Um you know, people might roll their eyes at this, but we visited places like Austin, Texas, and Portland, Oregon, yeah. and all of the the cool hip <laughs> spots that people, young people, like to move to. And um, we settled on L.A. We sort of were like, if we're gonna see if we can do this, you know what I mean? Yeah. In some of the, in sort of the same way that you were talking uh, earlier about touring. Um, being in such close quarters, that sort of makes or breaks a relationship, right? We yeah. were getting very serious. Obviously, the marriage conversation was happening at that time. Um, and it was kind of like, if we can make this happen and make this work, then we can make anything work. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, honestly, it was a, a reversal as far as a career move. <laughs> I, uh, I quit a job that was pretty good um, mm-hmm. to move here. Um, 
so did Kim. Um, and we just kind of wanted to have one last crazy sort of DIY punk moment. Like, yeah. screw this, I'm going to unplug and see if I can plug <laughs> back in somewhere else. And we're, we're doing it. Yeah, we're still here four years later somehow. Yeah. Cool. How is, and, you know, kind of you know, following up with that, what, you know, has there, how, how has it been trying to, you know, get shows in L.A.? Because I know, like, just as an East Coast guy, I mean, I've not that I've, like, you know, done a lot of touring, but I've done enough, you know, travel around the Northeast as far as playing in DIY bands that getting shows in New York City is damn near impossible if you don't, like, have, you know, close connections. So what was that like trying to break into the scene in L.A., which I'm assuming it's kind of a similar vibe as New York? Oh, it was very difficult at first, mm -hmm. okay? So for the first six months of my living here, uh, it was a complete, you know, no-go. No Absolutely, yeah. you know, um, no prospects whatsoever um, until, and this is why DIY will always thrive, mm -hmm. okay? I found, I met a guy um, who... He just so happens to be the A&R person for Hopeless Records, right? Mm -hmm. And the only reason I bring that up is because he had enough money that he owned a house nearby yeah. <laughs> where I lived. And he um, had a couple times hosted big events in the backyard. Yeah. Um, when that happened, I asked him just, hey, would you be willing to have like some bands play in your backyard? And he was yeah. like, I have no problem with that. Right. So I rented a PA and we held a show in the backyard of some guy's house. Um, because, obviously, if it's 75 and sunny every day uh, for 12 months a year, you can have a show in the backyard and it's yeah. no problem. Um, after that happened, um, I started to get shows. Cool. Interestingly enough, because yeah. it was sort of like, oh, this guy, that was the guy that I went to that backyard and saw a, a show in, in Silver Lake. And, Oh, you want to play this thing? You want to play this thing? It was kind of like it was like starting from scratch all over again, yeah. um, but just out here. Um, but DIY prevailed, and you know we threw a couple more shows in the backyard out there, including one. Um, our mutual friend Tyler yeah. uh, came out and played. Um, and you know, once I started doing that and inviting local bands to play those things, they would help me with other shows. Yeah. And now, now we've got a little thing going. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's it's rad right. to see that, you know, even within, you know, even within a big city where obviously there's, you know, bigger things going on that that DIY culture is still um, and, and that's why I mean, that's why, like, obviously, that's why we're talking about it. That's why, like, you know, it's because it's always kind of around and important, like more than just like, you know, to people that are outside of it. I don't think they always understand, like, how deep. The roots are with you know just the whole the, it's a whole culture it's not just a it's not just the like dude dudes and girls hanging out and playing music there's like a whole thing well and the cool thing about la is because um this city is known for music right it's yeah. like the place you go if you became the big fish in your small town, which I'm not claiming I did, I, I actually did the complete opposite of what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to become the big fish in your small town, and then go like then LA invites you so that you can become one of the upper uh, echelon. Yeah. But I did not get invited. I just showed up to LA and was like, "Hey, what's going on here?" Yeah. Um, but because LA is known for music, um, 
you see a lot of really interesting DIY scenes mm-hmm. that I was not privy to in New York. Like, for example, Albany had um, a goth night, right? But the goth and sort of industrial scene in L.A. was really interesting and yeah. had a lot of crazy, wild sort of DIY shows at, like, nightclubs and stuff that I never would have been a part of. Yeah. Uh, not that I was a part of it, but I got to meet some people who uh, make music in that. Uh, in those circles, and I never would have been able to meet them had I not moved out to L.A., you yeah. know? Um, hip-hop's another one. Um, mm-hmm. There are really cool labels based out of uh, um, Southern California, um, and, th- like, DIY hip-hop is really huge in L.A., too. Yeah. Um, so there's just a lot of really cool stuff uh, going on. I hope that it's not completely destroyed by the pandemic. But yeah. um, up until the pandemic, there was a lot of cool things happening. Yeah. You know? Is, has there been, is there like a lot of, a fair amount of cross-pollination between those kind of scenes there? Or is it all kind of segmented because it's being such a big city? You know, I think that there is some... Like, I can't sit here and and speak in absolutes and say that there's definitely none. Um, I'm sure that there is some. But the thing about Los Angeles that is totally different from New York City, right, is that New York City, everyone is on top of each other all the time. It's so populous, uh, but in such a small amount of space, everyone is living on top of each other, walking on top of each other. Hey, I'm walking here kind of situation. (laughs) Whereas Los Angeles is so spread out. Mm -hmm. You know, that it feels much more like um, a bunch of small villages all pushed together and called one thing, even though they aren't one thing, you know. Mm -hmm. So in the way that that is geographically, it feels very similar in music. Mm -hmm. You know, there are parts of town where a lot of music happens. um, and, And I'm sure it was like that in the sort of heyday of Los Angeles that everybody yeah. knows about, like the, the hair metal and the yeah. um, Sunset Strip kind of stuff. The Sunset Strip still exists, but all of those venues are sort of pay-to-play venues, so they're yeah. not, that's not where DIY shows are happening. Yeah. But there are places in downtown LA that had like sort of speakeasy kind of um, fake bars set up in warehouses. It felt so much like the DIY shows that we all grew up on. Yeah. You know what I mean? But just in this big city, in a sketchy part of town. Like yeah. that's, in every medium to big city across the country, <laughs> there's a sketchy part of town that a punk venue is ripe to grow in. And yeah. I think that's sort of what we're both getting at here. Yeah. Is that DIY is always going to live as long as there's a sketchy part of town that will allow anybody to let their freak flag fly. Yeah. You know? And, you know, this is, a, this is a broad question, and I don't know, you know, because I don't know the answer to this, but do you have any ideas about what kind of the future of this kind of DIY thing is going to look like? I mean, obviously, none of us know what the world is going to look like in six months right now. Everything's super crazy, but, I mean, now, I mean, I, I, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing you're 33? I am, yeah. Okay, okay. yeah, I, I, I am as well. I am as well. That's how I knew, because you said you went to college in 2005. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so as you know, now we're kind of getting to the point where, you know, we're kind of old dudes in the scene now. Um, oh. And so we've seen a lot change over, you know, I feel like the people that are still involved in this stuff, by the time we're in our 30s, we're kind of like, we're kind of lifers and are always going to at least be, um, 
you know, connected in a small way um, to the DIY punk thing. Um, all, so all that to say, what do you what do you think the future is going to look like as far as um, as far as all that goes? That that's the most broad question ever, but you know. <laughs> no, I, I mean, so when as you're talking about it, I had all of these images in my head of like, you know, with the Spotify generation happening and the SoundCloud uh, generation happening currently, um, you're you're kind of getting a uh, a flight from live music, yeah. right? Because they don't need, you can have millions of monthly listeners on Spotify and never play a show, yeah. right? So I think to a certain extent, there's going to be some of that continual motion outward, right? Away from live music, away from uh, performances. But at the same time, the people who are enormous successes, right? Even Lizzo, for example, she was touring living in her car yeah. and, and her performances are what made her famous, right? Yeah. She definitely has some hit songs and I'm, I'm, I don't mean that to say that she doesn't have chops as a songwriter. Oh, yeah, for sure. What I mean is that you can't just be a songwriter in 2020, yeah. right? Um, you have to have the total package and it was her performances that were incendiary, right? Yeah. That uh, put her over the top. And I think there will always be those examples. And the big... Um, bands in Los Angeles, right? The Touche Amores, um, the, the, what is it? What's the band called? Like Fever 666 or whatever. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. Or 333, yeah, so. 333, <laughs> sorry. Um, those bands are popular or they're big deals because they've been performing yeah. these incredible performances and people go and they feel part of something bigger. I think there will always be people saying that that is dead or is going to die. Yeah. But it will always live because people want to be there. You know, as soon as the pandemic allows us to be in each other's company again, you're mm. going to find people jumping on each other's shoulders trying yeah. to sing along to whatever, you know? Yeah. Or dancing or or uh, holding each other and singing or they just want to be part of something bigger. Yeah. And I don't think you can do that from the internet. Yeah. You know? Cool. So... I don't know if that's much of an answer, but I think it's sort of saying that DIY music, maybe maybe not punk as we know it, or hardcore music as we know it, or emo music, or whatever you want to call it, yeah. indie rock, maybe those things won't look exactly the same, but yeah. DIY, there's going to be some sort of DIY scene in every city yeah. as soon as they can figure out how to make it happen. Again. Yeah. You know? I'm, I'm ready. I'm, you know, it's, it's yeah. like... You know, I know it's, you know, it's, it's so weird because it's like, I'm at a place where I don't, you know, I wasn't going out to a ton of shows and, you know, now it's like, man, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take it for granted next time I can see like, you know, any band that I care about live. I mean, I got, you mentioned Touche Amore and just because that band, I mean, I, I'm not alone in saying that band means a lot to me. I know a lot of people like, those songs are, just have an urgency to them and I got like... I got real emotional listening to their new record and it was more about the feeling of it than and like wanting to like experience those songs in a in a group of you know like-minded individuals that are all kind of there together um it wasn't even about the lyrics as much as just the feeling that that band puts out into the world absolutely um, yeah for sure um side note do you, do you know if uh any of those guys have you um, met them out there? They, so 
the guitarist um, runs in similar circles yeah. to uh, the drug church guys. Yeah. Um, and I have seen Jeremy Bohm um, yeah. just walking around sometimes, but yeah. I no, I don't. I, I don't know them personally. Yeah. I was um, I was just curious because I had a. Uh... So Sarah Gregory is Clayton's girlfriend's partner, <laughs> whatever. Um, she's like she's from Schmokin, PA, like the same like area that Tyler and I are from. That's and I, crazy. And uh, so I, I had her on the podcast like a, while, a little while back. That's so why I was just I was just curious. I didn't know if you know if you you know ran into them or knew them at all through through you know I guess it's kind of a, a different world. Well, I haven't had the pleasure. Yeah. Um, the, the drug church guys have been very kind to me and they've let me, you know, when they play with like, uh, gosh, what are the names of the bands? Um, they tour with like, I'm just blanking on them, but a, a couple of times they've played, um, big venues or bigger venues in the LA area and I, they've allowed me to come backstage and hang yeah. with them. Um, and in those kind of, uh, times, I will see these sort of blast from the past kind of people, like members of um, Make Doing Men, for example, yeah. that I used to play with in uh, Kate Old Linehart days, and I'm like, "Holy crap, what are you doing here?" Yeah, man? you know. Um, but no, uh, not not as of right now. I haven't uh, run into uh, any of the Touche guys, and I, I wouldn't be familiar enough yeah. with them. They would definitely not know who I am. <laughs> but weird. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's all it's it's such a small it's such a giant network of people, but it's also you know just you know those those connections are you know the you know the bands that are huge like still have connections to you know people you know in these you know kind of smaller DIY communities, and that's I mean I think that's you know I could kind of rant about just how or not rant but go on about like how rad I think that is and how like I I think that like you know, I think that this whole, you know, punk rock DIY thing is, is such an important cultural movement um, that is so widespread. It certainly is. Yeah. It really, really is. Um, and you realize just how small it is um, when you start to travel around. Yeah. And people are like, oh, you played with blah, and I know you from blah, blah, and yeah. you're like, wow. <laughs> you know, or I played with your band 10 years ago, yeah. and wherever, you know, so... <laughs> Yeah. So what what comes next for uh, for you and for Broken Field Runner? I know obviously you can't be touring. Or, so have you been you know been writing and practicing and you know all that uh, just like everybody else has been through all this? Sorry, yeah, we, that that question so works have, better when there's not a global pandemic. When I can be like, oh, so what's next? It's tough. <laughs> but but honestly, I had this idea. So I put out that uh, the full length record um, a year ago, just yeah. about a year ago. Um, and, uh, I had this idea afterward because there were other songs just hanging out, right? I had recorded additional songs and there were just other songs that didn't fit, uh, that record. Um, so I had this idea to come out with a series of EPs, um, that sort of wrangle all of the disparate influences that I have, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and the first of those three EPs came out in May, uh, it's called Broken, and it is, it's about as overtly influenced by the sort of digital late period David Bazan solo stuff as they can be. Yeah. You know, the, the Care and Blanco records, yeah. the, uh, um, the Bazan monthly stuff. Mm -hmm. um, because JoJo, um, 
was heavy interested in the Bazan Monthly uh, records. And we, you know, we were talking about how uh, um, Kid A uh, by Radiohead was super awesome, and we wanted to figure out how we could make uh, music that sort of sounded like that. And in so doing, um, we collaborated a lot more uh, on that record than we had on previous recordings. So that uh, first EP is sort of like Jojo Shine, right? Him taking the reins on some of the uh, songwriting, taking a lot of the reins on the production and playing. Like, there are uh, at least one song on that EP that there's no guitar at all. Like, I didn't play anything. I just sang, you know? Um, And he... He crushed it, man. Um, and so that's what that record is. And there are some parts of it that I literally had zero hand on uh, writing at all. Like, yeah. I gave him no direction. He just <laughs> wrote. And there are some of my favorite uh, riffs on the whole thing. So that's what that EP is. is sort of like me letting myself out of the spotlight and allowing somebody else to take the reins. Yeah. Um, and JoJo did that. So then the next EP... Um, is going to be a complete and total departure from that. What I'm trying to do is release sort of like a, a lo-fi um, acoustic sort of field recording kind of uh, record. And that's going to be called Field. And then you can imagine that the full uh, band rock uh, EP, is uh, the, the last EP, is going to be called Runner. So yeah. then we'll have Broken Field and Runner as nice. EPs. Um, but yeah, so we I have a majority of all of the songs for all of those uh, releases written, um, and I have uh, my friend Jaden from the band With Confidence um, is gonna he has offered to uh, record um, in December. So we'll see how much I can get accomplished. Yeah. But the the original idea was to try and release these EPs every six months, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> the pandemic kind of put a yeah uh, a foot in that plan. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm excited. I really, I really dug broken, and I'm excited to hear the the other EPs as well. Cool, man. Well, yeah. thank you for your interest and for for continuing to listen to an yeah. old guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I you're the we're the same age, so you know it's you're not an old guy to me, but I, we <laughs> we collectively are kind of old guys now. We're, we're yeah. pretty old. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, you know, which is a weird feeling, you know, you don't, it just kind of happens one day when you look around and you're like, oh, I'm, there's, there's not a lot of other people close to my age at this all age show. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm wondering, do you think, um, I'm going to turn the the question asking on the question asker. Um, do you think it's ever going to get to the point where we feel too old? To be there, like, or or not even that we we feel too old to be there, and we self correct by leaving. Um, do you think that they will run us out of the scene? Like, the, the, who are these old guys? You know, I you know I don't know, and I, I you know I think that you know I think that I mean just because life is the, of course every episode there are. I don't know how many other ones you've listened to, but there's a siren that goes by my house. I live kind of right down the street from Bug Jar on, on Union, so it's a business. Oh, okay, place. yeah, okay. Yeah, um, but I, I, I don't know. I don't think that, uh, I don't think we'll be run out. I think just kind of life takes us out of, you know, being in it as often as, you know, as we were when we were younger. I mean, I know that it would be super cool if, like, you know, my kids get into it 
and you know kind of follow in in those footsteps um and then i'll have even more of a reason to hang around and it'll be less weird um but you know it's you know some of it's just like life you don't go out as much um but yeah i don't know it's hard to say but uh yeah i hope to you know i, I hope that i haven't you know played my last show or played in my last band I don't know about how much about booking anymore. I, I, I kind of over that after literally being bombarded with, with emails and Facebook messages for so many years. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of more focused on, you know, I want to play more and I want to, you know, do stuff like this. But as far as booking shows, the, it wore me down pretty good and I burnt out. So I'm kind of kind of over that. I don't blame you. Yeah. yeah. Um, booking shows has always been difficult. And then if something goes wrong with the show, then you are the one to blame and everyone's yeah. mad at you. And it's like you, you it's such a thankless job. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you uh, are trying to help out somebody else. And then if the show doesn't go well, it's like, well, why didn't you promote, you know? Yeah. So it's funny. I get it. I understand it from <laughs> both sides because I want a show to be good. And when yeah. I reach out to somebody, I want the show to go well. But then on the other end of the spectrum, it's like, they have a life too. Yeah. So I really, I don't blame you for being burnt out on that, definitely. Yeah, and I've, I've talked about this on other episodes as well. It's like, you know, sometimes, especially, I don't know, you know, it's probably the same in bigger cities as well, but, you know, sometimes you can, you know, promote the crap out of a show, you know, tell, you know, all the right people that would normally show up, and then sometimes... Maybe sometimes here it's weather related, um, or just you know sometimes you know you just you do everything you can and a show sometimes still flops <clears throat> and it's just kind of um, you know it's kind of kind of a bet that you're placing every time you you're, you put together a show. So um, you know thankfully I have had places to book shows where you know there wasn't a, you know overhead to cover and all that and so all the money has been you know going to whoever you know, whoever the, you know, the touring artist, and then if there's enough to the local artist as well. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it can be rough. I mean, I've definitely, you know, not as many as some people, but I've definitely, you know, had to pull money out of my own wallet to throw a band because I felt bad that, you know, people didn't show up. And what are you going to do? <laughs> totally. Totally. And there are these stories of, like, you know, old hardcore bands and old punk guys that are like essentially doing the uh, lifting a guy up by his ankles and shaking his lunch money out yeah. of his pockets. Like, hey, we came all the way out here. Are you going to pay us? And it's just th that whole energy is is not cool because yeah. you're trying to um, contribute to a quote unquote scene or you're trying to help out a touring musician yeah. the best you can. But sometimes it doesn't work out that way but. yeah and I mean most of the time you know I, I dealt with that very little I mean when you when you're booking kind of DIY stuff it's you know people know that that's how it goes that there's generally not a lot of money to be thrown around and if they're you know into doing this for the money they're not gonna be hitting me up for a, a DIY show in a small city so you know 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that is the give and take, right? That's, uh, and you, you know, I'm part of this enormous Facebook group on um, Facebook mm -hmm. called uh, DIY Tour Bookings. Yep, me too. And it's like thousands and thousands of people, right? And sometimes the people that post in there, I'm not sure if they are thinking <laughs> of it that way. Like, they honestly think that they're going to somehow make money off of being a DIY musician and i mean i i totally understand i don't want somebody to get robbed right if, if i found out that someone was um you know had their merchandise stolen off of their table or something like that yeah. or there was some sort of craziness where like uh a tire blew or like a van was uh destroyed um yeah i would try to figure out a oh, way yeah. to help them out but like when it comes to the point where they're like a band is walking the promoter to a an ATM machine at like the threat of force and is like you've got to <laughs> give me some money because we're going to that that's like it's just it's like the opposite of what I yeah you're kind of talking about as far as DIY yeah they're kind of yeah. kind of missing the point of what this is all about and right. you know it's uh, but yeah thankfully it's you know. And in general, like, I've had much more positive encounters. I, you know, I probably on one hand, I could think of bad experiences I've had with with bands I've booked. So, you know, it's uh, it's generally, I mean, obviously there's always all kinds of problems within those these communities. and um, But, you know, generally my experiences have been, been positive and hopefully for, you know, and I, I know I'm like a white cis dude, so... Of course, you know, I have have a lot of privilege, but, you know, hopefully, um, you know, and I, I think I've seen, um, I've seen kind of the, the DIY scene become more accepting over the years as far as, um, you know, as far as there being more women in bands and more LGBTQ plus people. Um, so, you know, hopefully we're on a trajectory that is, you know, a positive one as we as we move forward. Well, I will say that, uh, too, about Los Angeles, and perhaps it's the uh, close proximity to uh, Mexico, but there is there are so many more uh, Hispanic folks and Armenian folks and yeah. uh, Asian folks and, and uh, black and brown folks making music in um, Los Angeles, which has been cool to see, yeah. you know? Um, and, and that influence on the music, where it's like, mm -hmm. we're not necessarily a pop-punk band. We're also, like, influenced by, um, you know, our, our uh, culture, which yeah. is a really cool, just cool to be around and be a part of yeah. and, and see it ripple throughout yeah. uh, music. So, I mean, <laughs> P.O.D. comes up a weird amount on my podcast, but I think they're, like, a great example of that. Oddly enough, um, because like, you know, throwing in those Spanish guitars in like the rap rock and, you know, also they, you know, very much have roots in the hardcore scene. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, they're just the We're first, they're the first, you know, Southern California band with like Spanish guitar parts that I thought of. Well, the big one that I uh, always think of, because I think somehow this band gets a lot less flack than some of the others in that era. Um, when you think of, like, new metal, right, uh, P.O.D. does get made fun of, yeah. and Linkin Park gets made fun yeah. of, and, and Korn and Limp Bizkit get made fun of. But when you think about, like, System of a Down, yeah. has a lot of fans that are just not, like, no, System of a Down is good, right? Yeah. 
And the fact that the, these are like four Armenian guys um, making heavy music that's influenced by the Armenian music yeah. that they grew up with, that A is crazy to yeah. make that mix. Um, two, you go to uh, places like the Troubadour in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. and there are all of these like plaques of their uh, music on the wall, like their, their gold records and stuff, yeah. and there are all these stories about how they used to bring like tens of thousands of kids to shows before they were signed and all this yeah. craziness. Like, um, I don't know. It's, it's like that is proof that, you know, I don't know. It can be inclusive if you, if, yeah. you, if you will it to be. Or if you are unapologetically who you are, um, yeah. it's going gonna, it's gonna to work out. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's crazy um, that a band as weird as System of a Down had, so the, had the crossover success that they had. Because there's, there's like real weird stuff on, on every System of a Down record. So, and <laughs> I, I'm a big System of a Down fan. So, um, yeah. But they are, yeah. like, it's one of those things where um, I, I work with a lot of Armenian folks because my, uh, so I, I work in the Foothills area of L.A. County, okay. um, and Glendale, California is, like, has more Armenian people than anywhere else besides mm -hmm. Armenia on Earth, wow. right? Um, and, yeah, and L.A. apparently has 37% of all of the Armenians that live in the entire United States, live wow. in Los Angeles, so it's a huge amount. But yeah. the, I don't know, they're it's they're just so beloved, yeah. which is really cool. Like there's yeah. so many people who are like, you know, yeah, but System of a Down, yeah, but how do you, <laughs> what about System of a Down? You know, they yeah. they really like them here, and it's cool to see that. Yeah. You know, rad. So I mean, I guess we'll wrap it up. Any any, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, there will be links to your Bandcamp and. Uh, you know, uh, all of that. Anything else you want to shout out? People you want to shout out? Now's your opportunity. Um, you know, who, you know, people, bands, whatever. <laughs> um, honest. I mean, we've talked a lot about him in this, uh, you know, conversation. But I, I gotta shout out my guy JoJo again, yeah. just because um, his project NXNES Nuns is so good and he is he puts so much time and effort and like thought so there's so many people in music that it's not that you don't ruminate you're not like steeping your music mm -hmm. to see if it gets a bit a depth of flavor let's say yeah. and and jojo has worked so hard to make consistently good thought-provoking just genre pushing music right and i it's a, a bummer to see like the numbers of, of spotify listens mm. and what have you uh engagement with his stuff so please just go out and listen to him and right. listen to the circle that he runs in um my my friend pink noise who's also based out of albany um ty t-h-a-i um is another one these folks are just making serious excellent music and um is just flying under the radar for some reason. Yeah. So, and that's what I'll say. And then, you know, just a lot of people are telling you to vote 
Um, and I'm not going to sit here and act like I don't want you to vote against Trump because I do want you to vote Trump out. I want you to go to the polls and not vote for Donald Trump. I guess yeah. that's what I'll say. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Well, this will, this, this will be coming out the week after the, the election, so... Well, but then I'm going to say... I hope, that, I hope that people did vote. <laughs> I, I hope we're going to have a different president then yeah. when this comes out, is what I will say. Um, yeah. So, yeah, then I'm not going to tell you to vote, because you already <laughs> voted or you didn't. But let's hope we have a new president when this yeah. episode comes out. Cool. Awesome.
You just heard Koreatown by Broken Field Runner off of the record Lay My Head Down. Some of you guys that have been listening to the pod for a little while, some of our regular listeners, uh, will have heard me talk about that record on my uh, Best of 2019 uh, Countdown episode. So, yeah, I, I really enjoy that record. I'm just kind of a big fan of uh, Tony's music and what he's doing. So uh, thank you, Tony, for coming on the show. Uh, this was a lot of fun. So next week, if all goes well, um, I will be dropping another new episode. And speaking of my, you know, the top ten list, um, the person I'm going to speak to next week is most definitely going to be on my uh, top albums of 2020, and that is Matt Langston from Eleven D Seven. He released a record called Bad Glitches that I absolutely love. That came out, I think it was back in January, and I was very excited to chat with him and. We had a lot of fun, and I hope you guys really enjoy it. But, uh, you know, like I always I always do this, but I just want to thank any of you who are listening to this. This podcast really is a labor of love, especially through this, uh, this weird season of life where there's not live shows and there's not really a, another way to be actively involved in this DIY punk rock thing. Uh, it's kind of given me a chance to reach out to some friends and have some cool conversations to share with you all. So thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all soon. Peace.